when women come to me, they often feel disempowered, um, that they've never had this experience and they don't trust themselves. The self-trust is so important. Welcome to Portfolio Pulse, the money podcast for medical professionals and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Stephen Husky, owner of Husky Financial Consulting and Wealth Management. Our goal is to help leaders accumulate wealth and empower them to build the life they deserve. Each week, we interview a purpose-driven leader or medical professional that is building a thriving business with community impact. We ask tough questions, learn the habits they practice to build successful careers, and discover a secret they can pass on to help others build their businesses. It's time to talk money, meaning, and maximum impact. Hello and welcome to Portfolio Pulse, the money podcast for entrepreneurs and medical professionals. This podcast is aimed at reaching those interested in healthcare, education around all things finance and business ownership. I'm your host, Stephen Husky, owner of Husky Financial Group. And today's guest is Dr. Brittany Halford. She is an MPH, Masters of Public Health, and is an internal medicine physician. She's originally from Flint, Michigan. She attended the University of Michigan, Go Blue, for college, and she completed medical school at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine, where she also completed a master's degree in public health. She currently works as a hospitalist in Boston and serves on the Department of Medicine Finance Committee. In addition to medicine, Dr. Halford is a money coach, helping early career women in healthcare obtain more joy in their lives through tailored money management strategies. She shares her experience with paying off $138,000 of student loans in less than three years while traveling, investing, and having a baby. Dr. Halford is married to a physician and helps to manage the finances of of his small private practice. She's also a mother to her children, Brooke and Kevin Jr., KJ. So glad to have you on, Brittany. So glad to be here. And thank you for, um, you know, stating the go blue. It's hard to figure out where people land on that. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm not a huge Ohio State fan. So, you know, I guess I pulled for blue then. (laughs) Yes, I love it. Well, it's, uh, it's kind of, I guess, fortuitous how we met. I think we've been following each other on social media for a while, uh, getting each other's newsletters and you have great content. I think you enjoy some of what we're doing. So I think I always talk about networking in the show and how important mm-hmm. it is to, to find a, a good group of people that you can gravitate towards, share information with, and you've been doing that with one another. Um, let's tell the listeners more about you and your background, how you got into what you're doing, or how you ended up exploring medicine as your career. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm originally from Flint, Michigan, as you mentioned in the bio, and mm-hmm. being from Flint, Michigan, I grew up in a single parent household. I thankfully did have the presence of my father and still have the presence of my father in my life. But for the most part, it was just my mom and the children. And when you grow up in that way, especially for a long time, my mother worked as a bank teller. And I didn't realize this, but we actually grew up in poverty when I, she sent me her pay stub a few months ago and I did some retroactive calculations like oh my gosh I didn't feel the burden of that but I knew that we were not rich and what I saw was the interplay of the finances in our health and where I grew up as far as you know what are the public health conditions there what do my family or what does my family have access to and unfortunately I've lost many family members because of poor access to fresh vegetables, uh, you know, being able to exercise safely. 
and thinking about how those social uh, determinants of health actually interplayed into some of the health outcomes that my family experienced. So I knew that I wanted to be a physician to change that and to empower patients who look like me, who were from marginalized communities, patients who were poor, especially I just had a conversation with my nanny because she thinks that I don't work <laughs> sometimes as a <laughs> hospitalist, especially because I do shift work. And, you know, I have my financial coaching business. So she's always like, what are you going to do today? You're not working in the hospital. What are you going to do? And I'm like, oh, I'm working on my business. It's like, are you going to give up being a doctor? I said, no, I love being a doctor because one of the reasons why is I get to help people like me and you. And she is a Spanish speaker only. She speaks a very little amount of English. And I see now how her limited English proficiency plays into the manifestations of the quality of care she receives. And there are often times, unfortunately, where the doctor's office will call while she's here with us. And she just gives me the phone because they're speaking full English. I'm like, listen, this needs to be documented that she requires full Spanish interpretation. And so it's just those what may seem like minor uh, deliveries of care that actually impact the quality of care that patients receive. And I wanted to be a person who could change that. So you're an advocate for people's health, for the type of care they receive, for the finances of you know these, not only physicians, but women and marginalized communities that you wanna give back to. You know, one of, one of our sayings at Husky Financial is, you know, you know health and we know wealth, right? But you kind of know health and wealth at the same time. So you're ahead of the curve already. Congrats for what you've built and what you're doing so far and the help you're giving others. Well, thank you. And thank you for this platform. I have so much benefited from just hearing all of your guest speakers and also listening to you to get some of those nuggets of financial information. And I think too often as physicians, we think it's only about having the financial literacy, but I tell my clients all the time that literacy has two components. It has the financial acumen, but it also has the practice. And unfortunately, because we've been so career-driven, just focusing on medicine, that we haven't had that opportunity to practice, to build that self-confidence. But for your podcast, really focusing in on physicians and those who have a purpose, who are giving back um, and having that philanthropic um, meaning and push has been really, really great to hear. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You know, sometimes I feel like just doing this podcast kind of just gets into the mix of things. It's just part of my day and I don't often get a whole lot of gratitude from folks. So I, I appreciate that. Um, you mentioned nonprofit. I'm, I'm big into the, the space of, I wouldn't say giving back because it kind of implies that we took something from someone, mm -hmm. but how are you providing good to the world outside of your businesses? Are you supporting any nonprofits or community driven, um, you know, support in yeah. your community? Like, how are you, what are you doing? So actually this year I did a challenge in the month of January that was called just for joy January. And I, I just put it out there and I made it affordable, affordable for everyone to say, Hey, women come in, let's focus on joy. Let's focus on joy in our decisions. Let's focus on joy in our finances. Let's focus on joy in our family. Because what I've realized at least is that there was a period of my life where I was, I was burned out, to be honest. I was burned out in the career. I was burned out in the home. And it was because I was not honoring myself and honoring what really matters to me. So during this month of Just for Joy January, 
all of the proceeds go to Rosie's Place. And Rosie's Place is a homeless shelter here in um, Boston. And it was actually the first one that just focused on women. So it's for women and children. And I really love that because women, we carry a different financial burden. Um, and also there are a lot of societal perceptions that are imposed upon what women should do or should be. And too often, I think we, because we have to be gracious and because we are just givers naturally that we put ourselves aside. And so that was a great way to give financial um, means to women who are also doing the same thing of elevating women, supporting them financially and allowing them to focus on their joy. So Rosie's Place is one of the ways that I've done that this year. Never heard of Rosie's Place, but I'm definitely going to check them out. I, I appreciate you mentioning that. Um, you know, one of the things you mentioned to me is how women need to be, I wouldn't say thrust into the financial aspects of mm -hmm. a household, but usually the men take care of that. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you understand the dynamic of a household, especially as it comes to finances, even though most times the men are the ones who are creating the bulk of the wealth that comes into the household, the women tend to be the decision makers mm -hmm. in the house. And so I often, it's conversations with people, I'll speak directly to you know, the woman in the relationship and, and get her input because when they're not with me, they're going to be talking about it together. And the man usually goes with, a, with one of them once, right? Mm -hmm. So how, how do you incorporate, um, you know, creating pride in the in finance when it comes to the woman's place in the household? Um, how do you create equivalency in the household, even though there's different income disparagements? Like, what is your message around that? Yeah. So historically, you're right. Men have been the breadwinners of households and have guided the direction of, of the finances. And uh, women, because again, thinking about financial literacy, there was that lack of practice. And now there's so much evolution in that, that I, I actually recently read an article that more women are becoming breadwinners. And this is the thing, they're staying married longer because before when women were breadwinners, maybe because of societal perceptions that men may have, and I don't want to speak for men, but this is how I interpret it, that mm -hmm. because of culturally men who are supposed to fit into this norm, this mold, you have to be the breadwinner, you have to bring home the bacon and your wife is supposed to cook it, you know? And so if you had a woman who was making more, then there's kind of this tug of war because he maybe was not fitting that mold. And now the woman's like, oh, well, I'm earning a lot of the money. Let me help you to guide that direction and the decisions. And so things have not completely shifted. But now there's been evolution of that. And I'm so grateful culturally that we're continuing to evolve in some ways. Um, and that women are the breadwinners and they're able to have those conversations where they feel empowered to have shared decision-making within the home to guide the direction of their finances to ensure that they're not only doing what's best for them immediately, but also over the long span. Because when you think about statistics as far as who lives longer, women actually live longer than men. We have longer lifespans. And so it is important that women not only, yes, we can earn the money and we'll talk about some of the, the wealth gap um, and the income gap, we can earn the money, but now we can also have that shared decision-making and have that practice 
to know how to direct and guide the finances of the family so that it is strategic and it serves us individually. And so I'm so excited that we're starting to transform this. When women come to me, they often feel disempowered um, that they've never had this experience and they don't trust themselves. The self-trust is so important. So a lot of the work that I do as a financial coach is just allowing women to be women for us to chat. They feel comfortable with me because I look like them. I understand them opposed to sitting down with someone who typically doesn't share that identity because women historically were left out of the financial space. And maybe they don't want to disclose that. I actually have no clue what you're saying. I actually got a text message from one of my girlfriends. And she's like, I just had a meeting with my financial advisor and I swear he was speaking Japanese because she literally did not understand anything that they discussed. And I know she didn't ask any questions. So she's bringing some of, she's trying to take notes, you know, copious amounts of notes so that she can bring that information to me. And now I can break it down in a layman's turn. She can ask her questions. She can, you know, reciprocate. Okay, well, this is what I hear you saying. And here are the questions that I still have. And I, we can do that gentle, you know, give and take the probing in a way that allows them to practice and allows them to have and build confidence in their money conversations. I think confidence can only happen when there's simplicity and clarity in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And when the average financial advisor is a 50-year-old white man, but you're talking to someone who looks nothing like you, it can be tough to communicate. It can be tough to um, relate, you know, and especially mm -hmm. when, you know, we know a lot of things. And mm -hmm. so for us, being simple is really hard. You know, I, I've read the book, Insanely Simple, you know, uh, I think his name is Ken Stegall who wrote it, but he wrote it about Steve Jobs. Steve mm -hmm. Jobs' big, big um, mission was to create this simple device that you can hold in your hand. And, you know, the iPod started out with four buttons and it went mm -hmm. to a scroll wheel. And now the iPhone has no buttons on it at all on the front because it's what's easier than being, you know, having one button is having none. So how can we communicate a message in a way that most people can understand it? I think it's all about using stories, figuring mm -hmm. out first and foremost, the person across the table from you, how do they learn best and can mm -hmm. we communicate with them properly is super important. So thank you for sharing your experience. Um, what is your relationship with money as a practicing physician? Your husband is a small business owner. He's a physician also. Mm -hmm. Has there been, has there been like questions you guys haven't been able to answer together? How do you communicate about money as a couple? Oh, this is a really good question because we have a lot of money trauma, I think, that we don't acknowledge often. And considering my background that I didn't feel in the burden of, you know, growing up in Flint, Michigan or growing up poor and having limited resource, resources because my mother never made us feel that way. You know, she was able, always able to provide for us. But getting with my husband, like when we started to date and now being married to him, I see how our upbringing transformed how we feel about money. And so there were times where Kevin, that's my husband, he's like, Brittany, why do we always have to go on a date? Whenever you're planning a date, why does it always have to be on a discount? I would always use a Groupon or <laughs> you know, some type of passbook or something like that. And I recall we were going to see Alvin Ailey 
um, which is a black uh, ballet performance group. And it took me so long to purchase the tickets. He's like, Brittany just purchased the tickets because the cost of the tickets had exceeded my level of comfort mm -hmm. that I always evaluated my decisions based upon the dollar sign. Instead of thinking about the other benefits to me of, okay, how is this going to add simplicity to my life? How is this going to help my mental health, my physical health? And um, I didn't really realize that until I got with him and he is a manifester. He is a abundant. You know, when we moved to Boston, we had to write a check for our first month's rent, our last month's rent and a security deposit. And if you know anything about the Boston market, real estate market, like it's one of the most expensive markets. And so for me, the amount that we were writing a check for was quite large. And his response to my comment was, oh, baby, we're going to be writing bigger checks than this. And that is so true. You know, we've grown right. our wealth so much and we're able to purchase our home and put down the down payment and all of those things. And so that has come true. So my relationship with money is evolving. I would say I have definitely a more healthy relationship with money right now than I did when I started this journey of becoming a physician, because I know that money is all around us and I don't have to allow it to be the dictator of my decisions in my life. Um, so because we have like these varying opinions in how finances should be managed, our financial conversations, sometimes they're always productive and revealing how we're feeling about something. And oftentimes when you're having conversations with your spouse, really it's not about the money. It's about something else. It's about the emotion and really tapping into the psychology of money. And that's what I like to work through with my clients also. And so for him, it might be that, okay, I do have this pressure of being the breadwinner and I'm stressed out about this, or I feel this additional pressure to do this. And it's, you know, detracting from the joy that I used to experience because now we're trying to make these financial moves. Um, <clears throat> he also knows a lot about money, but he doesn't like to dive into the weeds. I like to know all of the fine details when in his private practice, I speak to the financial advisors, I speak to the actuary, and I speak to um, the CPA, because I like to know everything. And so he is like, Brittany, give me the big picture, like, just distill this down. What do you need me to do? What do I need to know? I need the high yield information. I don't care about all of the details. Um, and we have learned that about each other. And we have allowed ourselves to, at the very best times to really tap into our strengths and rely on each other. I can't say that we don't ever have financial arguments. Um, and I would say we actually don't have financial arguments, but we have financial conversations that may be on a more um, conflict management. You know, if we're thinking about a spectrum, it may be more towards conflict management, but not necessarily arguing over over finances. And that has evolved. And I'm very grateful for the position that we're in, that we're able to share our emotions behind the finances and how it's feeling for us and also reconcile all of that and being strategic about how we both can work for a shared goal because ultimately we have a shared financial goal and this is team Simon even though my name is Brittany Halford team Simon always so we honor That's that fantastic. <laughs>
Well, it seems like you guys have a good yin and yang thing going, especially mm -hmm. with how you're more of an engineer with how you look at things. You like the nitty gritty details. You're doing all the math and he wants the high picture stuff. Mm -hmm. I find that there's a lot of psychology when it comes to really anything but money specifically. You know, it's all about emotion. It's all about what drives you to continue to earn your wealth. What, mm -hmm. Why are you doing what you're doing? What's the financial mission statement of why we're trying to do what we're trying to do? So it sounds like you were very much a planner. So why is it so important that people who are either managing their own money, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but why does planning around money, maybe using an advocate who can help you and educate you, why is that so important to helping you grow wealth and using your money as a tool to get further in life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, financial planning is essential. And, um, you know, I mentioned that we have a CPA, we have a financial advisor who helps us with some of the accounts. And one of the reasons why I've realized that this is important and one of the ways that we're directing our finances is because there's things that I don't know. And, you know, a lot of my financial acumen is through acquisition from experience. I did not go to school for this. You know, my training is in medicine and in public health. And so I realized that there are limitations. Yes, I know a lot, but there are limitations to what I know. And so having experts in my team helps to push us forward and that I respect my time. So sometimes there are things where like, okay, I could do this. I know that I have the ability to do this, but do I really want to do this? Is there something that would be a more pleasing task that I can complete and offset the cost of this? And so we have also brought people in to our community to offset some of that, like outsourcing, offset some of those tasks that Yes, I have the confidence and the capabilities to do, but I just am choosing not to do. And that has been really helpful. Additionally, in speaking about my husband and I and some of our different money personalities, having a third party is also very helpful to know, you know, when something is due to say, hey, babe, you know, Alexis said that this is due by tomorrow, you know, so <laughs> if Alexis said it, you can't argue against me. Um and so that has been extremely helpful as well. You know, I am a planner because I think that you have to have a direction. You have to have a direction in which you're driving. And there might be detours that are beautiful. There may be deviations. You may take a pause here and again. But if you do not have a direction, then it is misguided energy. And if there's nothing more that I've learned to respect is to respect my time and my energy. And I think having those members of your team move you faster forward. Great points. You know, we hear often about opportunity cost and the time value of money, but what's the money value of time? Mm -hmm. For someone who's who's got two, you know, two positions, you're raising two kids, maybe even raising your husband a little bit. You know, there's different things that you're doing in the household. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not thank, at all. Thank, thank you for sharing your position on money. You know, what <clears throat> let's hear more about your your coaching. You know, I know that you're a hospitalist, but I know you're helping a lot of women out there. I want to hear more about your coaching, what it is, what it is you're talking about, the path you're leading these folks down. Tell us more about that. Yeah, thank you. So how I got into coaching was I paid down my student loan debt, 138000 when I really got focused in two years and nine months. Very and awesome. yes, thank you. I know that that's partly because of my income, right? 
but also that I was driven and that I was very decisive in how I spent my money. And I started to share that story on social media. And I guess I didn't realize how much of a unicorn or how you know impressive that was. And people are reaching out to me, well, Brittany, how did you did it, do it? Can you share a little bit more about this? And that revealed to me that there's a need. There is a need for this information. There's a need for women to have these conversations, to understand that you don't necessarily have to sacrifice everything for your debt. Because while I was doing it, they saw on social media, oh, Brittany just took a trip and she's having this baby. And what are, how is she able to do this while also paying down that debt? So I started a company for women when I first started, just financial coaching for women called More Joy, More Wealth, because literature shows when you have joy-based spending that you actually will have more time, more energy, and more money. And that is the focus of my coaching. I help women to have conversations about what is it that really brings you joy. A lot of people say traveling. Okay, let's say travel. Um, what I help them to do is to reflect on those traveling experiences. Well, why is it that traveling actually brings you joy? For some people, it's like traveling, when I get out of my norm, then it allows me to relax completely and I need to have that period of respite. For me, I also like to travel, but it's not necessarily for an exit of life or to just rest. Um, my husband, he knows when he plans the trips that he has to have at least one excursion every time because I like to keep moving when I travel. So for me, it's exploration that I love to travel to explore new spaces. So when you distill it down to the characteristic of your joy, then you can understand that travel can be expensive or travel can be cheap right? So for me, exploration can be going and taking my kids and we drive an hour outside of the city of Boston and we explore a new area in nature. And that will still bring me a lot of joy. Yes, I have to pay for gasoline. Um, I have, maybe I could pack a lunch or we purchase lunch out, but it's not going to be the same expense as us traveling to, I don't know, my husband and I went to Thailand, for example. So when you distill it down to the joy and really understanding the characteristic of your joy, then you can be strategic about the decisions that you make and make those decisions knowing that you're not going to feel burned out, knowing that you're doing what's best for yourself and you're honoring that and knowing you're doing the best for your family or, you know, your wealth. And that's essentially my, my coaching. And then after we're able to figure those things out, break down some of the money trauma we get really strategic about how we're applying the numbers, building that confidence, having case-based scenarios so that they can practice creating that strategy for various scenarios so that they also understand because a lot of the women that are enrolled in my coaching program are women in healthcare with debt. And when you have debt, sometimes financial advisors may say, oh, you need to work on paying off your debt first, et cetera. And what I don't want them to do is to just defer all of these other financial steps to their debt 
and also defer the evolution, the mental like practice that is required so that they can feel confident when they arrive to whatever their destination is that they've set for themselves. So you've established great systems and a roadmap for women to experience true joy by getting emotional about, you know, why it is they're doing what they're doing, picturing themselves in Thailand, you know, feeding monkeys from their hand or whatever they're doing. And I think that's when you put yourself in that position, it makes it so much more relatable and you got a real goal to work towards. That's super important. I'm glad you're talking about the psychology of it too. I know you can't see it, but there's a psych degree right here on my wall. So I, I also I am very that. in tune with that. Um, so what upcoming events or promotions is more joy, more wealth doing right now? Are you bringing in a new cohort? Are there some mm. women who can join you and talk to you about how, how it is to work with you? Yes. Thank you for asking. So right now I am launching a new cohort, um, a new coaching accelerator, ex- joyfully free. And mm. this is because student loan payments are resuming come October 1st or the month of October. I don't know the exact date that they'll have the payment be required, but a lot of women who are early in their career have not paid on their student loans. You know, if you do an internal medicine residency, then that's three years. And we had deferment for, or forbearance, excuse me, for three years. So we haven't even started to conceptualize what it means to make a student loan payment, how to get strategic about our student loans and what to do and how that how that factor, how that debt payoff will impact our wealth, not only today, but throughout our lifetime. So there's a huge need. And I've launched this coaching accelerator. It is a two month accelerator where you get the high yield information about student loans, how to evaluate your student loans, how to be strategic about, say, for example, you know, you're trying to get public service loan forgiveness. And so if your goal is forgiveness, then ideally you want to pay the least amount possible, right? If the goal is forgiveness. So how can you be strategic about reducing your adjusted gross income? So therefore you can maximize that benefit of lowering your payments. Maybe that means that now you're increasing your contributions to your 401k. And before you weren't able to take advantage, full advantage of that 401k because you were paying down your debt. Maybe that means that you are going to do married filing separately. Of course, you have to weigh out the numbers of what are the tax implications and the benefits of doing that. And so I help women, this this two-month accelerator program is to help women to gain the confidence to understand how student loan payments are factored, to understand what brings them joy in their financial goals so that they can create a plan for when the payments resume and continue to create plans as their life evolves. And it will teach them the essential knowledge that they need in order to make those decisions. So I'm really excited for this new cohort of women. And I know that I'll offer this um, throughout the year because student loan payments with all my past clients um, have been something that they didn't really want to acknowledge except for one of my clients. And she's like one of my, ah, one of my favorite clients right now is because um, we were able to get her loan forgiveness 
and not only forgiveness by taking advantage of the PSLF waiver. So she had 70K that was forgiven. And because she had overpayments, she will receive a refund that she'll be able to apply to paying down her credit card debt. So, you know, oftentimes we see the dollar sign and say, oh, I can't afford this coaching program. But just imagine, you know, my coaching programs vary from, you know, $1,000 to a couple thousand dollars. Um, and she said, oh, well, you know, I can't afford it because of this. And she never took advantage of the student loan forgiveness. And she would still have to pay on those loans for, you know, probably about 19 more years. Well, I guess about 15 more years. Um given the payment that the plan that she was in, enrolled in. And um, yeah, so it gives her peace of mind. Now she has, she can redirect her finances. And so that's what I love doing, just helping women to figure out where there are opportunities for them to take advantage of and encouraging them and pushing them to take advantage of those. Well, it sounds like your favorite client um, could not could afford, could not afford not to do it. You know, I mean, it sounds like right. she probably should have taken that advice. A lot of it is just looking at the math and all of that. Um, you know, you keep mentioning different professionals on, on your team, right? There's different folks who need to give influence and provide advice. And a lot of those relationships tend to be reactionary. You know, I call my CPA when I have to get my taxes done, or I call my attorney when I need a legal, legal document done, or I need to go get a loan done. So I go to a banker and having a good team of trusted professionals that can speak to one another and navigate on the same course together with mm -hmm. the same message, I think is extremely important to have a good cohesive team. Mm -hmm. So instead of having a reactionary relationship, let's have a proactive relationship mm -hmm. with your people. Um, what are two, this is probably my second to last question. What, what are two pieces of advice that someone could implement immediately that you would normally tell your cohort? So the first question is to be introspective because I think often what we do is we try to mimic plans, lifestyles, et cetera, that we see other people implementing in their lives. And we appreciate the outcome of what we're able to see, but we don't know all of the details, the intricacies that played into that decision that led to that outcome. But when you're introspective, when you can really tap into what is going to provide you with the most fulfillment and you honor that, then that will allow you to focus on your joy, to ensure that as you're bringing all these other members into your team or you're making your decisions, you know that you're honoring you and therefore you can feel more confident about that decision and not allow guilt or shame or et cetera to influence how you feel based upon the outcome. So that's the first thing, because I think oftentimes we we attach our emotions to our outcomes when it's really about the journey and it's really about understanding why we made the decision and trusting that we are honoring ourselves in that. And the second thing that I would say is to, if you feel less confident, if you feel as if you're unable to DIY in a way that will give you the same results as someone else to seek help, and to not base that decision just on the cost, because I know how it feels to make every decision based upon cost. And it doesn't feel good, nor did it allow me to maximize my time, my energy, and my opportunities. And so even for me, when I started my business, 
I got help. I don't know anything about being an entrepreneur, right? right. I got into right. a coaching program. And at that point, my business was making zero dollars. But I also knew that there's going to be a lot of fear and I needed someone to help to be a guide for me so that I could cross that bridge and make those difficult decisions and to have that push. And I knew that they would accelerate my growth because they have the experience that I did not have. They had that expertise that I did not have. So to be introspective, to honor yourself in all of your decisions and don't attach them to an outcome. And when you're evaluating the outcome that you desire to get help, if you feel that someone else can get you there faster. Those are excellent. So be introspective, honor yourself, what you want to do, seek help and not just decide what the cost is, but mm -hmm. really what's it going to afford you when you mm -hmm. have that help. That's, that's awesome. So what is your purpose, Brittany, and lasting legacy that you want to leave in your community? My purpose and lasting legacy. I want to, I want to leave a legacy of kindness and respect. Um, and that sounds very simple, but when I think about the legacy that I want to leave and how I'm raising my children is it doesn't matter who the person is that I want you to make sure that you always treat them with kindness. I'm a woman of faith and I'm always reminded that God is no respecter of persons. Um, and so whoever it is, if it's a trash, a garbage man, or if there's someone who's homeless right now, or if there's a CEO of a major hospital, I want to treat all of those individuals, despite what my perception of their career and how that defines their identity with kindness and respect. And I think when we're able to do that, when we are able to evaluate somebody and just see them as a human being, as one of us, then it not only allows us to meet them where they are, but it allows us also to focus in on how can we assist each other? And I know that we only grow in community. And if we're building wealth, we will build wealth in community. And one of the things that I like to empower my clients with, you know, as I focus in on women is that studies have shown when you increase the income of a woman, you expand the wealth of a community. And I just really understand the benefit of that. So kindness, and respect, but to be really to be focused on community. So listeners, if you would like to seek knowledge and help to live a life of kindness, respect, faith, and joy, please reach out to Dr. Brittany Halford of More Joy, More Wealth. Uh, I know you'll see great results and you'll feel better about your situation moving forward. Thank you so much for being on our show today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on Portfolio Pulse. If you found this helpful and think others deserve to hear about us as well, please like, subscribe, and share us across any platform on social media or your podcast platform of choice. That's it for today. Remember to be happy, stay healthy, and tune in next time to remain financially fit. podcast is for informational purposes only and not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. 
Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PASS, Guardian, or Husky Financial Group, LLC, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Michael Husky is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. PASS, OSJ, 6115 Park South Drive, Suite 200, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28210, 704-552-8507. Securities products and advisor services offered through PASS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PASS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Husky Financial Group, LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PASS or Guardian. Husky Financial Group LLC is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. 2023-159-220 expires 8-2025.